It is as though once creation was complete, God was faced with a leftover oasis. Rather than set it randomly, he chose to anchor it in the north at the Sea of Galilee at Decapolis, then stretch it as far as it would go, more than a three-day trek on foot, to Asphaltitis, a lake with no life. God has intended a message in his design, and someday I will understand it. The most reasoned explanation is that God has a sense of humor. When something is in its place, it is as it should be. When it is a juxtaposition of its surroundings and an element for survival, it is sacred. When the prophet Elijah is pulled from these shores to God's side in the heavens riding a chariot of flame, the sacred becomes holy. These waters, no matter the intent of their creator, are indeed holy. This river contrasts with its surroundings much the way I contrast with my fellow man. The physical contrast was almost since birth and shaped my being as much as my conscience. Standing a head taller than most other Jews did enough to set me apart, but I am told that it is my eyes that cause most people's knees to weaken. Am I more intense in my gaze than those around me are comfortable with? Or is it because one eye is that of a snake? At least that is the claim of those who do not know me. The real reason for my deformity is much less dramatic than having the eye of a snake. No, the slit-shaped center of the left of my gray eyes is not the result of some spell cast upon me, but a very human event from my less disciplined youth, a brawl and a lucky punch. Thankfully, even the most curious of those who I encounter seldom have the nerve to ask. I did not realize how long I would need to isolate myself from the disintegration of my world and my people. In fact, I suppose I don't know how long I lived in my self-imposed exile. The wilderness of Engadai has a way of eliminating time as a measuring tool. Those in a position to know me best are puzzled as to how I was to become a lone and rogue piece of humanity. I believe the answer to be nothing more complicated than a need to be at peace with myself and my God. That must seem such a waste to those who saw my role in life to be much more traditional and perhaps even consequential. I'm certain that Father presumed me to take the reins of his congregation some day. I did not have it in my heart to tell him that it is my belief he is an obstruction to the purpose and meaning of our existence. It was not the fear of reprisal that I felt. I could take on the old man, and he knew it. Now it was the fear of seeing his dismay. When you're born the son of a priest in the plains of southern Galilee, you're likely to die as a priest there. I would much rather challenge a man's faith than his expectations. My bearded face, and so I'm told, my wisdom arrived at the same time in my life. Each had the capacity to portray me beyond my years. In combination, I was perceived as the gifted, if not the strange, son of a priest. In many ways, I'm like this holy ribbon of water bending its way through a hostile place that is our world. The foundation of my civilization is crumbling. We are not even the masters of our own destiny. 
That is now in the hands of an invading pagan empire. The more disturbing reality is that we as Jews do not even find ourselves with enough in common to call ourselves one people any longer. At the root of that is a disintegration of our faith and communion with God. Without it, we are no one. Nearly a year since my existence in that Judean wilderness has found me resolute in my convictions. For that, my father would have been proud. The years of isolation have hardened my beliefs and hardened by the sheer desolation required to commune with nothing more than my thoughts and my God. But I returned to a world that was changing for the worse, armed only with what most would call a gospel. In this age of priestly hierarchy and a temple that is designed to control its believers, it is a gospel of hostility and dangerous to the way things are.